Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're here to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. And we're legitimately recording this time. Wow, that was a mess. (laughs) That was a hot mess of trash that just happened. I'll take responsibility for, like, 30% of it, and the 70% of that was Audacity being terrible. What the hell Audacity? Yeah, what the hell Audacity? What was that all about? You had the Audacity! (laughs) How dare you? I've told that joke, like, 60 times, but I never get tired of it. Um, I feel like you've only told it to me in person, though. I don't think you've ever told it on the podcast, and honestly, I never get tired of it, so... Hooray! Yay! <laughs> Alright, well, we have, for the first time ever, a planned start to this podcast. We, we have do. To, you know, we have to say our dreams, because in oh, the past couple weeks, we've oh, both had Animorphs right. dreams. We did! Um, mine was really lame. Mine was basically that we were going on a mission with some of the Animorphs. Like, they were there, but we never actually interacted with them. Um, There was Rachel and Marco, and our mission was that we were going to morph sand sharks to go do something underwater, um, very shallow water, so it didn't have to be, like, deep morph. And we morphed into sand sharks, and I kept dolphining at the surface of the water, and you got so mad at me because you're like, they're gonna know that we're not real sand sharks, you're giving us away, stop doing that. And I was like, I was just testing the swimming, and you're like, you're gonna get us caught, and then I woke up. And that was my dream. So you basically had a dream where I was yelling at you. Well, you, that, if you want to get down to brass tacks, sure. Oh, no. <laughs> but I'm so were, sorry. No, don't be sorry. You weren't, like, yelling at me mad about, like, what I, You were just worried we were going to get caught. So you told me to stop, like, jumping as a sand shark repeatedly out of the water. And I feel like that's very fair. Like, I was not upset at any point. Cool. But yeah, that I was, was just, it. I was yelling out of fear. <laughs> You were. You were yelling out of fear. Now go. Yours is so much better. Okay, so my Animorphs dream was I was walking through the woods with the pack of Animorphs, um, and we were looking for something, and we came across these ruins of some sort, and we were like, oh, hey, that's probably what we're looking for. Let's go over there. So we did. And we got there, and it was basically like a big pit it was kind of like a zoo exhibit where you're like standing on a balcony and you're looking down into the into the habitat Mm -hmm. and there were like piles of dirt down there and jake's like i'm gonna go down there so he like jumps down there all willy-nilly and he starts looking around and as he's looking around we're watching him and the piles of dirt start moving and we start to see what's inside them and we're like jake you should climb a tree don't look around don't panic but just start climbing a tree so he, he kind of does. And what emerges from the dirt piles are giant scorpions. And so 
the scorpions spot him and they start making for him and he's like climbing a tree and then they start climbing the tree after him and we're like oh shit he's fucked so i jump in there and i start morphing into a wolf and then i realize okay if once i get to to wolf size i'm gonna be the same size as these scorpions so then i switch into morphing a lion and i just start laying waste to these freaking scorpions Nice. And I freaking saved Jake's life, and that was my self-fulfilling Animorph stream. That's awesome. See, it was very, so it was very like sensical. Usually, dreams are pretty nonsensical, but this mm-hmm. one was very straightforward, which was weird. It was weird that it was so normal. <laughs> it was weird that it made sense, and yet at the same time, it was taking place like in an Animorphs universe. So, yes. That's awesome. Yours was so much better than mine. I saved Prince Jake. You did save Prince Jake from the giant scorpions. <sighs> uh, which is terrifying. Because I've, I've been watching this um, Animal Airport show recently on Netflix, and it's literally just about like the animals that they take through Heathrow Airport in England. So they've been featuring a bunch of shipments of scorpions recently. I say featuring. This show came on in like 2012 or 13. Like It's an old show. But, like, seeing all the scorpions come through, it's terrifying. Like, they, they're, like, they bust out of their boxes all the time. They, like, chew through plastic and escape. And then, like, the guys Holy. open the box and there's just scorpions. And they're, like, yeah, they have super <laughs> painful bites. Don't touch them. So, like, imagining dog-sized scorpions. Oh, it's, God. Yeah, it's, like, one of those horrifying things. Like, when you're a kid, you're, like, yeah, quicksand and weird animals. And then it's, like, dog-sized scorpions. And I'm, like, you know what? Fuck no. I'm out. That's terrible. <laughs> Although they say the smaller the scorpion, the more lethal it is. Oh, so good really, point. a dog-sized scorpion would—I mean, it would sting you and it would probably impale you, but it wouldn't be poisonous, maybe by that logic. Yeah, I mean, it, and poison is half the battle with them. Like the hooks would like eviscerate you and hurt, but like yes. you can shove organs back into an orifice, but like you can't suck <laughs> out poison. <laughs> <laughs> You can shove organs back into an orifice. That's great. Medical knowledge with Alex. Right. <laughs> Poison is what gets you. It's all those serial killer things that you know yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really into that. I mean, you can look up lotus boob without flinching. Like, that's you have a strong stomach, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm all about that. Like, I have to know. Like, when people are like, oh, look at this disgusting thing. I'm like, ooh, let me, like, let me watch that a little longer. Like, Oh, God. I don't know. There's something about it that I just need to, like, know and, like, understand. Damn. Yeah. Why aren't you, like, a doctor or something? Like a surgeon? I'm not smart. What? (laughs) That's why, because I I can't pass school. I'm not good at math. You don't need math. You just need to have a steady hand and a strong stomach, which you have. Math is for nerds. Math is for nerds. Not like Animorphs, which is for cool people. (laughs) Even though the Animorphs do do a lot of math. They do. Well, yeah, but like they have different levels. Like this is, they support each other's weaknesses. Like Jake is like, if you go a mile when you're going 20 miles an hour, you've gone 20 miles. And Marco's like, let me calculate the speed of light, which is distance. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I know enough math to get, like, puns about velociraptors, like, velocity, but that's, like, the extent of my math knowledge. I think it's all about context, actually. Like, if if math was presented in an interesting way, 
then maybe I would be on board with it. But if you just give me a bunch of equations, I'm like, my brain automatically rejects it. Yeah, you know what? That's absolutely true. Because when there's like a, a math problem to solve in the context of like a book or something like that, I get the concepts a lot faster than when somebody's like, here are 30 problems written down on a page, show your work. And then they're like, if you show your work wrong, you get points taken off for it. And I'm like, well, I don't even want to try then because multiplication was something I figured out because I thought about it for a really long time. And then what really pisses me off is that like I do that thing where like I figure out the nine times table and then figure out the rest of my math from it. So like, you know, when you're doing like nine times five, oh, well, it's four because it's times nine. And then, you know, four and like five equals six. So it's 47. Like that makes sense. Like it's it's that weird logic. And then I saw somebody actually teaching it like that the other day and I got really mad. I'm like, I figured that out first. And now you're (laughs) teaching it in school, you assholes. (laughs) Wow. So indignant. I was really mad. And actually, the way I just explained that probably did not make sense at all. But when I saw someone who is good at explaining things do it, it, I was like, that's how I do multiplication as well. Well, there you go. That's how you know it's legit. We should um, get into this book because I have many, many thoughts. Oh, okay, good. Because I was really excited for you to read this book when I realized which one it was. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and um, I did not remember quite like the ant book i didn't realize quite how early the elemist came into this again but now that we're in book seven the stranger i i like realized where we were and what was happening yay yay all right let's get into it cool this was a good book this was a good oh my god this book so good and it's rachel which is my favorite so, and and also I had um, a lot of nostalgia around this too, because this was another one where when I was reading through, I was like, this, this is what resonated with me as a child. So anyways, I'll start getting into this now. So the, the book plot. opens with Rachel and Cassie at the circus with Rachel's dad. It's one of his uh, bi-weekly outings or every weekend outing. Every other weekend, I think. Okay. So by every other weekend outing. Um, and uh Rachel took Cassie with her to the circus because it was really more for Jordan and Sarah and uh, she's not really interested in that sort of thing and so she thought bringing Cassie would give her somebody to talk to while they were like going oh my god the clowns this is amazing um but what they noticed yeah clowns screw that I did have it well never mind I was going to tell my evil clown story, how it was outside my house, but that's really all of it. <laughs> oh, God. One ran up outside my house and got arrested a year or two ago. Yay. Anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> while they're at the circus, they notice that there's a trainer who is using a cattle prod on the elephant, and mm-hmm. um, thus begins our opening mission. Yet another opening where Rachel is goes all, like, P-E-T-A on this shit. Yeah, and... Um, and then morphs elephant to destroy things. <laughs> so, you know, such the subtle rage. approach. Yeah, yeah, such rage. And she really goes with, like, subtlety when this stuff happens. So uh, her plan is to sneak into the elephant pen to morph into an elephant and then have a, a discussion, a rational discussion with the trainer. Originally, she was just going to crush him, but Cassie really insisted it has to be a discussion. You know, she's nonviolent things. So Rachel sneaks into the pen, turns into an elephant, and then calls him over. 
And she does. She has this, like, you know, hey, I'm an elephant, and uh, I'm part of the Elephants' Rights Coalition, and if you keep cattle prodding these elephants, then I'm going to come back and crush you to death. And he kind of freaks out. Um, He says the elephants are his property, which pissed me off. Like, come on. Um, And once he kind of starts to see Rachel's side of things, she throws him on top of the circus tent. You know. pretty badass. She's such a badass. Uh, so that happened. And that was the mission. And that pretty much ended it. And we cut to the following day, where Rachel is telling Jake about the mission, and they're pretending Cassie wasn't there. I, like, I get it, because, you know, they're like, well, Cassie and Jake are kind of dating, and Cassie's supposed to be responsible, but, again, they're just not disclosing everything to Jake. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, as they're like, they're, they're walking through the forest the following day and um, they're going to meet up with Axe and Tobias is with them. I'm sure he, he also wanted to be in the forest. I don't know, but they're go- going to meet up with Axe and Rachel starts describing the group. Um, and she, it's the normal thing, like, you know, the, the regular descriptors, but I, I felt when I was reading this, like they're starting to change a bit. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. She she's just talking about different aspects of of their personalities now. So I wasn't sure what to write down about that exactly, but I just kind of noticed it and wanted to see if you did too. Sorry, I'm really I'm looking at my notes, and mm-hmm. one of my notes is I'm with Cassie. I'm all about skunks. They are adorable because oh yeah, they saw some skunks and they're like Cassie's the only one that would get excited about it. Yeah, not and I'm true. Like, like oh man, they're adorable. Skunks are so great. They are so great. I love skunks. If I could have oh. a pet skunk, I totally would. Going off on a little bit of a tangent, have you seen that video of the guy who's, like, biking on a trail, and then this family of skunks just starts, like, running up to him, and they, like, sniff his shoes, and they sniff his bike and stuff, and then they just run back down the path? Ooh, I've seen a clip of it. Yeah, you should watch the whole thing. It's adorable. Because you can hear their little skunk noises. <gasps> oh, So cute. Anyway, that is completely tangent. Back to the story. Oh, okay, fine. We won't talk about how. <laughs> Let's just talk about skunks for two hours. Okay, <laughs> the skunk cast. <laughs> we should oh, do it. Oh God, <laughs> podcast idea. I know we've been throwing them out like every episode. <laughs> so the skunk cast. Let's talk about skunks. Um, well, let's we'll talk about animorphs first, and then let's circle back to skunks. Okay, we'll come back. Okay, we'll be we'll be back. Placeholder <laughs> this. We're coming back to this. So um, (laughs) the other thing I noticed about the descriptors is Axe is now a part of the main group. Like the last couple books, he's mentioned more of an aside, but this one it was like, here's Cassie, here's Jake, here's Marco, here's Tobias. Oh, and here's Axe. And it was really just nice to see him um, in Rachel's mind as part of the team now. So. Well, and that's um, that's reinforced kind of throughout the books and some mm-hmm. of the dialogue where Axe keeps going like, oh, we have, we've spent 15 of your minutes in this morph. And Marco keeps saying like, hey, Axe, they're your minutes too. Yeah, they're like, everybody's the, minutes. <laughs> yeah, and, and this this comes up like two or three times. And every time it comes up, I'm just like, oh, they've accepted him as part of the group. <laughs> yeah, and... To that point, there's also parts where um, things are happening where Rachel will say, like, oh, and then Axe demorphed, and she'll either not, like, it's he demorphed, and then they move on, or it's he demorphed, and, like, we don't even, like, notice anymore. Like, yeah. 
you know, unless it has to do with like the space that they're in or like, oh, this is just adding to the general weirdness of this situation. It's not really mm-hmm. mentioned anymore when he demorphs that like, oh, it's so weird that he grew a tail and stock eyes and he's blue. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, Axe is there too. <laughs> yeah, they're getting used to him. Yeah, they are. And he, um, his dialogue in this book too was, I thought, more um, cohesive to the book as well. Like he's starting to, to learn Assimilate. like... Like, jumping way ahead in the book, too, when they, they, the whole your minutes thing, when he says, like, your miles, and then Marco makes a joke about, yeah. like, oh, they're your miles, too, and he goes, what if I use kilometers? Oh, shit, Marco. Oh, my gosh. I was, and they're, like, walking in the middle of, like, a post-apocalyptic world, and I was just mm-hmm. like, Axe, curb your sass right now. <laughs> this is a serious Axe, situation. Axe never curbs his sass. That's, oh like, my God. that's my favorite thing that he starts to pick up from people. Like, I think he really, like, looks towards Marco as an example, and, of course, like, that's <laughs> a terrible person to look for when you're trying to be, like, normal, because he's so, like... He's good at it, so it works for him. But if you're not good at joking and you're trying to be like that, like, oh, God, it's awkward. Which <laughs> just makes it better for me. Like, I, I love it so much. I love Axe. Me too. He's wonderful. <laughs> and then also, while we're on our I Love Axe trail, the, the whole introduction <laughs> after she kind of says, like, oh, he's an alien, blah, 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 is he goes... I was attacked by a cougar. It was exciting. <laughs> and then he like turns to Cassie and he's like, I didn't kill it. It just oh probably God. won't attack me again. I love that. It was so funny. I love how he just immediately knew to turn to Cassie and be like, don't worry. I didn't kill it. Yeah. So don't jump up my ass about this. Exactly. I didn't cut it to ribbons. I just discouraged it from jumping on me again. <laughs> <laughs> Bad kitty. Yeah, and then um, right after he says that, Marco makes a joke about him and Rachel, like, you're made for each other. You guys can get married when you bungee jump into an active volcano. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh. Yep. Oh, and then another mention here, too, um, during this whole intro, was she mentions that she did know Tobias before the night at the construction site, which I think was something that you had talked about in Mm -hmm. one of the earlier podcasts, so it jumped out at me. Yeah, because I, um, I think we had established in the TV show that there was a flashback where Rachel kind of defended him against a bully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they never actually bring up anything about how they met in the books. Yeah, and they still didn't bring it up. They just said, oh, I knew him before that night a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that happened. <laughs> um and then uh, Marco brings up that he and Tobias went on a scouting mission and they found an entrance to the York pool and that is why they brought them all together today. And Jake's really annoyed by this. Jake's really annoyed and Rachel's really annoyed too. And then she realizes that Marco did this to give Jake a, a break and let him rest for a little bit after his whole ordeal in the last book. And then she's right. less annoyed, but Jake's still pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is... Interesting. And then also interesting that Tobias and Marco went on a mission. And maybe this is just because I've been listening to episode three again. And like when we talked about their whole relationship of Tobias Mm -hmm. saying they'll never like each other. And then they go through all this crap together and kind of bring each other out of these shitty situations for that entire book. And so um, I thought it was an interesting choice that Marco and Tobias were the scouts. And it might be incidental because Tobias is the scout at this point. But, right, and Marco's the strategist. Right. 
So it might be incidental, but I still thought it was interesting. But I like to think that maybe they bonded a little bit when they were yeah. working together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I good boys. I think so. That's my head cannon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, all of that goes down, and um, just a lot of really interesting character interactions in the first couple pages. Yeah, and there's a lot of interesting character interactions through this entire book, actually. Um, I absolutely agree with that statement. And I love that stuff, so this is why I was like, I really want to talk about this book. So Yeah, good. <laughs> um, yeah, this one's kind of the, a real mind trip. Yeah. But yeah, so um, to, the, to the actual like dialogue in the book now, <laughs> Marco... Um, and Tobias had been on their scouting mission, and they found out that the way the Yerks are getting into the pool, which they they kind of carve out the town a little more, too. The Yerk pool, they say, goes under their school. It goes under most of the shopping mall. It's under a bunch of gas stations. So we're getting more of an idea of the absolute, like, vastness of this Yerk pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and they mention that the entrance seems to be through the gap, and then at the end of, like, when they're leaving the York Pool, they come out um, from the movie theater. So it looks like the movie just got out, but, like, more people come out than went in. Smart. So, yeah, it's smart. And Marco mentions, hey, that's really smart, and they're really, they're, like, assimilating really well, which is concerning and also impressive, <laughs> uh-huh. given the leadership on this mission. And then Rachel asks Axe at that point to tell them a little more about the the way that Yerks feed. Um mm-hmm. I don't think it's anything we didn't already know from the last books, but he mentions the three-day feeding cycle, which obviously we've already explored in depth, um, and then the need for Kendrona rays, and then he mentions that the Kendrona rays are kind of like a sun. Uh, I'm not sure if they specifically said that before, but because it was rays and light, I think we kind of gleaned that information. Um, and then Rachel asks, well, how big is it? And Axe goes, well, it could be the size of Cassie's barn. It could be the size of a car. And Marco makes a joke about how surely us American children could wreck a car. (laughs) Yes, Marco. Marco and car jokes. Yes. Marco, you could. You could wreck a car. (laughs) Well, and going back to the Kendrana, um, Mm -hmm. when, when they kept saying it was like a sun, I could never understand if it was literally like a sun or if it just acted like a sun does for you know life on this planet so once i found out what like the size of the kendrona i was kind of taken aback a little bit i was like oh it's like a reasonable thing a reasonable size thing yeah and that's like i had trouble wrapping my head around that too and i'm also like even the descriptor later in the book like i don't quite know is it like a radioactive thing it sounds more like They've almost just trapped Kendrona energy into it, and they have some sort of processor where they, like, run the energy back and forth to renew itself, and so they're almost having, like, some sort of, like, nuclear reactor. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, and and do the rays kind of pulse out of the thing, like, like ultraviolet, or are they, like, funneled somewhere? Like, I, I, I don't know. Based on the ozone smell and, like, the way that it acts like static electricity, I'm going to guess yeah. it's some sort of, like, like a radiation almost. Okay. That's That was my take on it anyways, and as stated up front in this podcast, I'm not smart. So <laughs> 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 that's my guess at what this is based on the very little I know in life. 
um, is that it's some sort of like radioactive thing. And when they say rays, it's more like a gamma radiation than mm-hmm. an actual like sun radi- ray. Okay. That's what I'm guessing about the Kendrona ray. Seems legit. <laughs> it seems okay. So they they kind of end the, the conversation there. And one of the things I took away from this is that they talk about how scared they all are. But Tobias, who is mentioned in the conversation and who they say when they're talking about going back to the Yerk pool, they're like, you know, last time we went, Tobias was trapped. Tobias doesn't say anything, like, through this entire introduction. Yeah. And if it was another character, I might say, oh, maybe he's talking to Rachel privately. But since it's Rachel, he just literally isn't saying shit. (laughs) Yeah. So that was weird. I thought it was weird. weird. I don't know. Maybe they're just, like, leaving room for Axe to talk. But anyways, that's the end of that interaction. <laughs> yeah, so they they make a plan to go uh, scope out the, the Yerk Pool and mm-hmm. try to find the Kendrona. Scary mission. <laughs> yes. Back to the Yerk Pool. I'm not excited about that. Nope. Like, when I get, like, to those points in the book, whenever they're like, we're going back to the Yerk Pool, I still feel that old sense of, like, ugh, like... <laughs> This is not a good Why? thing. Why? I'm a little panicky and I'm reading a book. <laughs> but, you know, they have to. Yeah, world saviors and all. Yeah, it's kind of a job. It comes with the territory. The next part of this book is Rachel is going home. And uh, when she gets there, she's weirdly talking about how hungry the woods make her. And then just drops that. That was like a weird aside. Um, and her mom's there eating Doritos and just zoning out. And she has to, like... Same. <laughs> same. Me. <laughs> <laughs> um, she has to, like, get her attention a couple times. And then her mom's like, oh, hey, sweetie, what's going on? And she's like, nothing? When's dinner happening? And and her mom's like, oh, your dad's bringing dinner over. And Rachel's like, ah, alarm bells, alarm bells. Why is our dad coming over in the middle of the week? And... Yeah, um, he never comes over for dinner. He never does. Presumably and, uh, because divorce. Yeah, because divorce. And, like, he just doesn't seem... Like, she mentions at another point in the book that he's not really the type that does more than he has to, visiting-wise. Like, he gets caught up in his own shit and then forgets to, like, mm-hmm. visit. So, um, But he's coming over, and uh, Rachel thinks that that's super weird, and her mom goes, no, he just has to tell you guys something that he was supposed to tell you over the weekend at the circus, but apparently forgot. Uh, I really feel this, like, post-divorce awkwardness in all of this. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's, And I love that we can sense it, too, because, like, I think... Other than Marco's dad, Rachel's probably the one that we see her parents and siblings the most. Mm-hmm. Um, other than mentioning Tom's a controller, obviously. But uh, she, she's probably the one that we see her home life the most. Um, and it's a really accurate way, like, talking about her parents and how they, like, don't get along. And you really get the sense that there is that tension there. And, like, I, I just like that how genuine it is. Well, and in her last book... Um... You know, she kind of put on this air like, yeah, my parents are divorced, but it doesn't really bother me. Like, it's totally fine. And then in this book, we kind of see it's it's not fine. And e- like, even if it is fine, like as far as like, oh, it's not like a really negative situation. There's mm-hmm. still just that like little bit of tension. Yeah. So her dad comes over with Thai food, which Ugh. made me really hungry. Yeah. Uh, oh, I want pad thai so bad right now. 
get it. Last time we went to Boston Market, let's just abandon ship and go get Thai food. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about the whole Boston Market debacle. Oh, yeah. Let's get Thai food. Let's. There we go. You're right. Abandon the Boston Market plan. All right. Bye, guys. We're out. (laughs) See ya. That's how the series ends. (laughs) Goodbye. Fluffer McNutton's killed them all. The end. And, um, yeah, that's Rachel's dad brought over Fluffer McNutton's. He murdered (laughs) Rachel and her family. And that ended our view of the Animorphs, and now we're going to go get Thai food. Jesus. That's the plan. Uh, All right. Thai food. All right. So what actually happened (laughs) was um, Rachel's dad, Dan, comes over, and he he starts off uh, talking about how he has this new job offer, and he's not just going to be, like, the second tier guy. He's going to be top billing now, and he's going to have the you know twice run of the news like at seven and nine, and it's going to be great for him. And Rachel's like, "Well, that sounds like good news. Like, why are you pegging this as bad news?" He goes, "One minor detail. I'm moving a thousand miles away." <laughs> oh man, I went into like geography mode at this point because I'm still trying to guess where they are I and I'm still you would I know okay so I'm still guessing they're somewhere in like the Washington Seattle area yeah and then I, and then like he goes on to say it's in like a bigger city they have serious mountains there and so I'm kind of like Colorado I don't know if Colorado I don't know if Denver's bigger than than Seattle though so uh and it's not like the mountains in Washington are small Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they're smaller than the Rockies, but I, I, I don't know. Anyway, I went into full-blown, like, geography mode. I'm still trying to figure it out. And did you look up, like, baseball teams and stuff, too? Uh, I know of the Denver Broncos, which is football? I don't know. I don't sports. Um, I don't know. I think the Broncos are football. You're correct. But um, <laughs> I, did, I did go to Google Maps, and I checked how far... Colorado was away from Washington. It's about 1,300 miles, so that checks out, I guess. Um, And I, to that point, um, was looking up stuff because I knew that you would be guessing once you read that. (laughs) (laughs) I looked up uh, Carla Belnikoff, and she is not a real person. Oh, oh, the the gymnastic lady? Yeah. So this is the other thing that her dad came to talk to her about. Rachel storms out of the kitchen after that, and she doesn't, like scream or slam doors or anything she's like i just want my dad to know what it feels like to be left and um she goes to her room and her dad comes into her room and the second part of this is that her dad's saying i've already talked to your mom about this and i want you to decide but you're old enough to kind of be on your own now and take care of yourself a little bit do you want to move out there with me and um he really promises a lot right now so carla belnikoff is not a real person but in the book she's the coach of the some Olympic gymnastics. I don't know if I can say she's officially like the gymnastic coach or anything for the U.S., but she's coached gymnasts that have won gold and silver medals for the country. Mm -hmm. And um, he promises her hiking, as you said, um, sports, hanging out with him. And uh, he just really is like hammering her with like, it'll be great. We'll have father-daughter time. We'll get to do this. We'll get to do that. And like so on and so forth. And you can fly back whenever you want. You can visit every single weekend if you want. And Yeah, because I make yeah. a shit ton of money now. <laughs> As the top builds guy. Yeah. That's that's another thing I meant to look up. Was presumably he's going to be like an anchor man or something and how much mm-hmm. they made in the late 90s. Like, I don't feel like they made enough to fly out every single weekend. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah. Also, maybe that could be another thing in your investigation. Maybe it was two cities with, like, cheap flights. Like... Oh. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. So, anyways, he was promising a lot. And I think that's when she realizes that, like, he's not promising her this because he really wants... Like, he does want her to go, but it's really because he's afraid of being lonely in the new city. Like, it doesn't so have so much to do with her as he just wants a companion for this move. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that actually led me to my first question, which was, like, if you were in a similar situation, what would you do? Like, from both the perspective of, like, what would you do if it was just, like, between your family? Like, you know, if somebody asked you to move out with them? And then like moving the scope out a little bit and then saying like from the perspective of also you're fighting to save the world with a bunch of your friends like what what would be your going on in your head in this situation uh um i would i mean i would really personally i would have to like really disassociate myself from this question because like i never met my dad um so i don't i don't necessarily know what it feels like in rachel's position um but, like, just kind of offhand, if I were Rachel, like, I, like, throughout the entire book, she she keeps, like, bringing this up and being, like, she's really tempted by the idea of a normal life. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, you also have to think about, like, the whole split family situation. Like, you know, I've got some family myself that where it's that kind of situation, and it's not a great situation to be in. Yeah. Um. Because not only are you putting strain between, like, you and the parent that you're not with, but, you know, also, like, your siblings and your friends. Like, it's it's a huge ask to, to have to make that choice. Um, so I think if I were Rachel, I would basically decide to stay. Just purely from, like, a logical standpoint. Yeah. Of my life is here, my friends are here, my most of my family is here. Like, what are you doing, Dad? <laughs> Sorry, I got yeah. really intense. No, no, I, that's, that was, um, kind of what I was, I don't know. I just was really interested in, like, how you would think of that. Because I don't, I don't know. Like, in a weird way, I've kind of been in that situation. Like, when we were... Um, really young and I'm originally from Canada and have moved <laughs> from there to somewhere else when we were moving my family we didn't split up my immediate family but my family they posed the question to us and I was very young at the time like I was I would have been nine or ten and they posed the question to me and they said if you don't want to move then we won't and it was the same sort of thing where it was like here's why we want to move here's all the stuff you'll have like here's how great it'll be blah 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 so but if you say no because you know we're leaving friends and family and we we agreed to go or at least i agreed to go i don't know what the i think my siblings were too young but i said Mm -hmm. yeah let's like let's do it let's see what happens and from my perspective like i would really consider going with the dad like i i would consider that and that's taken away from like my family specifically like because i don't want i don't associate like Rachel's mom and dad they're too distant from my parents to like even be a proper comparison (laughs) but like in Rachel's situation 
I would have really considered it. And the one thing that, like, absolutely hard stop would have kept me there, though, was the Animorphs. Like, mm-hmm. it, like, it wouldn't even be a question for me. In this situation, like, with my dad telling me all that and Rachel's having this really hard time of, like, how can I split and choose between my family who I love? For me, it would have been, like, screw my family, the Animorphs. Like, I have a duty to fulfill here. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just, I was interested to hear what you were going to say because I feel like we approach these things from different perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was my, my question for you. And that mm-hmm. kind of led us into talking about Rachel and her feelings on it, which is her, like, you know, just mulling over this decision. And she does the same sort of thing where she originally doesn't even factor in the Animorphs. She's like, how can my dad make me choose between him and my mom and my sisters and um you know he's promising me all these things and and it really is that choice of like do i have a normal life and a life where we have fun together and do these things or almost like oh i have this escape like if i choose that everything goes back to normal yeah it's a way out yeah so it was interesting and she the thing i liked about this is she really kind of early on she it, she brings it back up and she reconsiders her decision throughout the book, but early on she makes the decision like I can't possibly go. I'm part of the Animorphs, and that I feel like any every other character would have had a longer struggle time. But yeah. Rachel's like obviously not. <laughs> so yeah, but um, this gets her into enough of an emotional tizzy that she's like I have to to think about this and she can't sleep and so she decides to morph into a great horned owl and go when did she get that morph? To um i think they got that in the last book um we didn't see it happen but that was one of the ones that cassie got when they were keeping jake under wraps so i think they oh, all yeah. got um forest animal book or f- forest animal books that doesn't even make sense <laughs> what am i saying forest animal morphs cool <laughs> So I think that was one of them because Cassie got that in the last book simply for keeping an eye on Jake at night. And they mentioned there's eyes like all around in the forest in that book. And I think that's what they meant is like Jake can't see the owls because let me tell you, it's freaking impossible unless you get one that's loud or flying and can keep an eye on it. And sometimes even when they land, they go, um, they always land towards the middle of the tree and they like sidle up right next to that branch and you can't see them there even if you watch them fly to that spot sometimes so cool yeah they're amazing so like i think they all got the owl morph in the last book gotcha yeah (laughs) so um she busted on tobias which um tobias was really like pissed with her trying not to be pissed but really pissed and there's this crazy video i will see if i can find it and you just see this owl flying up out of the dark and all you see of it is its eyes at first and it comes up and kind of, like, sideswipes and takes a hawk and just flies off into the night. And, like, oh, it's no. terrifying because all you see are these floating eyes. And the next thing you know, he's gone. And you see this red tail looking around. And it's it's infrared, so you can see them clearly. But you can tell the hawk can't see shit around him. Like, he's just looking oh. blankly into the night, has no clue what just happened. And, like, that was exactly what I thought about when this, like... They, they really would probably go after babies more than anything else. Right. But that doesn't mean that an owl couldn't sideswipe Tobias and really do some damage. Yeah, they have such a huge advantage. At night, especially. Like, during the day, they still have squabbles sometimes because a red tail during the day will absolutely go into a great horned nest and take one of their babies. 
but um, oh, God. <laughs> the owls are so overpowered at night that this, like, is not a fair fight. God. So, yeah, Tobias freaks out, rightfully so. Rightfully so. He has every right to be mad at Rachel for this. I was upset at Rachel for this. I was like, wow, that's, like, how could you do this? <laughs> you can't just go careening into every situation. Exactly. <laughs> and then it, like, just gets worse because Rachel's, like, having her emotional thing and she seeks out Tobias, but then once she starts talking to him, she doesn't really want to tell him what's wrong. Um, so she starts going, like, I'm just scared about the Yerk pool. And he's like, oh, yeah, we all are. But that's bullshit. What's really going on? And um, yeah. she's like, well, I'm just thinking about going to the gardens. Fly with me. And <laughs> I, I pointed this out, Casey, <laughs> because he's like, I'm not flying at night. There's no headwind. It's dark. I can't see. This is, Yay. he's like, if you want to go around this meadow right here, that's one thing. But I am not flying to the gardens with you right now. Oh, I love it. Yep. So. Thank you. Slow retcon eventually paid off. Yes, the happy. slow retcon did eventually get there. Yay. Yay. And then um, they have their conversation. Tobias strongly advises her to go home and do not go to the gardens right now. And Rachel flies into the gardens. Um, Going back a little bit. Uh-huh. um. Rachel, before she leaves, she kind of indicates uh, as to what is going on, because she brings up to Tobias, like, oh, do you ever think about, like, years from now, like, if we're, like, college and stuff? Mm-hmm. And Tobias is like, oh, I'd, I'd do pretty good at ornithology, the study of birds. And my immediate gut punch reaction was to be like, meds are medicine, Starbucks <laughs> is the coffee place. <laughs> but then I remembered that kids reading this book might not know what an ornithologist is yeah i i noticed that too and like i had the same reaction and i was like oh well that's that one's fair yeah yeah that one's on me brah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and i oh god that was heartbreak i feel like i skipped that because i just didn't want oh yeah to talk about like not that i don't want to talk about it but like i felt so guilty for tobias like on rachel's behalf and then rachel also was like shit why did i say that i'm a jerk like uh, i gotta get out of here yeah Uh, like if if she wasn't going through like such an emotional turmoil right now i don't think she ever would have slipped up like that yeah i feel so bad for her and him like oh my god because tobias is like his whole arc, and obviously, like, we haven't checked in with him in a while, and we still won't for a while longer, but his whole arc is, like, this is my body forever. How do I handle this? And, like, to have Rachel, the person that's, like, you're human, you're human, you're human. Everything's fine. And even when he's, like, I'm not totally human, she's, like, no, you're human. And then for her to be, like, what are your college plans? It's, like, oh. Rachel, come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Poor Tobias. But he's oh, he's God. really, really cool about it. He laughs it off. He totally is like, I sorry, like I get where you're coming from, not to make it awkward, like everything's fine. It's cool, <laughs> Rachel, it's cool. He laughs to hide the pain. Oh. Oh, oh and then Tobias. um actually right in that vein, Rachel says that. Tobias is a casualty of war, and I think this is the first time they blatantly refer to him as a casualty. Yeah. So that was another, like, really, like, like, Rachel, who's so adamant about him being a a human, when we get into Mm -hmm. her thought process again, she thinks of him as, he's a human, but 
he's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, his life is over. He's a casualty. Ah, so, anyways. That, just thought I'd point that out. So To the gardens. The gardens, where they she didn't pay for a ticket. Fucking finally. 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 Um, but then she also sneaks into the grizzly pen at night, so. Uh, you know. Um, and this these was. These kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I also griped because she was. She was like kind of flying through the through the gardens, being like, "I don't want, I don't want this kind of animal. I don't want a polar bear. I, I want a grizzly bear." And I was like, "Why would you not want a polar bear? They're fucking huge." Yeah, they're huge. And why would you just dismiss a polar bear out of hand? They're huge, and they have way better eyesight. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Whatever. We'll revisit this in a year or two. Maybe grizzlies can run faster than polar. Oh, really? Oh, do the. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not, not, um, yeah. Anyways, we'll revisit this a little later, but I think there's, um, the reason she wants Grizzly is because in her mind, like, it's, it's that native species that's so much, like, more intimidating to her, I think because she knows it, and polar Uh bears, um, especially, like, in the 90s and, like, with Coca-Cola and everything, I think the view Uh of them was a lot more, like, they're cuddly and they're, they're (laughs) nice and... I mean, yeah. yeah, people just don't know. I don't know. That that was I'm my... A bear. <laughs> Put your head in my mouth! <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when she's acquiring the bear, she has this really... She's, like, kind of applying her situation to everything she's going through right now. And this mm. was interesting from the perspective of leaning into the morph. And even though she hasn't done the bear yet... The thing she's craving is control of her situation. And so she, when she's getting the bear morph, she's thinking, he is absolutely confident. He's absolutely in control. This is an animal that for thousands of years has been in control and confident, and that's what I want. I was getting serious flashbacks to book two with the cat. Mm-hmm. When she was also leaning into that morph, and I was just like, oh boy. Yeah, and like, that really comes mor- up. Yeah, like, her more so than the others so far is kind of becoming this, like, using the morph to escape her real-life problems. Like, she did that with the owl, too. Like, she couldn't sleep, so she's like, I'm gonna just, like, escape and, you know, fly around for a bit. Yeah, and this is, like, um, I can't, I think it was episode two that we talked about, like, how this is what makes her the worst morpher. Like, Mm -hmm. she just leans into the animal instead of trying to find that balance she's totally maybe this is the recklessness because she's totally willing to like let the animal take over she's like yeah like this if this is what this animal's instincts are then let them charge into this situation and i'll just like back up what i can you know yeah so yeah it's interesting though and she just is struggling so much with this decision (laughs) yeah like she and I think it's the the next day um, where like they all meet up again, and she she's like getting really snarky with the others because they're all like, well, oh, like what did you do last night? Oh, you you morphed into an owl and you flew around and you went to the gardens, and she's she's like, yeah, so fucking what? Like, yeah, fucking fight me! And yeah. I was just like, holy shit, she's like unwinding, yeah. and it's alarming. And it's that Rachel reaction, too, of any time she's sad, any time she's challenged, any time she has something going on, she reacts with anger. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's like everything is annoying her right now because she's internally struggling. I know this so well because this is me. Like, I'm having an issue at work. So you come home and you say something to me and I'm like, fuck off. I don't want to talk to you. And it's like, yeah. it's not your fault. It's nothing you did. It's just I'm really angry right now. And I can't mm-hmm. help but be angry at everybody because something is happening that you may not be involved in. So, yeah, I like, I totally get that. So when she's doing this, I'm like, I recognize it of like, yeah, like I, it's because she's struggling, but like the other animals are noticing. And even if they're not being called out as noticing because we're so ingrained in Rachel's head, the minute Marco Mm -hmm. is more in the fight, all of the animals are talking about it. Yeah. Rachel and Cassie talk about it. Yeah. Coming up. Right. And they talked about it, too, at the beginning when Rachel is talking through Marco's character description. She's saying suddenly he's had a change of heart and he's like really into this fight now. And I don't know what that was. Interesting. The kids are keeping things from each other. They are. And at the same time, they are so much better at reading each other that even though they're keeping things from each other, it's almost more open than it was before. Yeah. Like, they just need to get better at their sharing skills, but... Um, they... <laughs> Maybe they should go to the sharing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hear that's a really great operation that helps you open up. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the, the jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. This is the flash where it goes from her talking about the grizzly, acquiring the grizzly, to they're at the mall, and Axe is trying to eat cigarette butts. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they're laughing. They're like, poor Jake having to deal with Axe. And Axe is like, I'm just going to eat everything. (laughs) This is why I was laughing last time when you were saying, um, I don't think kids like coffee. So I don't know why Axe would have liked coffee. (laughs) This is the exact scene I was thinking of. I was like, he eats cigarette butts and other things like cardboard and things. (laughs) Like like when he gets the boxes with like the, the cinnamon buns or burgers or whatever he's eating in it, he starts eating the box too. And it's like, no. Max, honey, stop it. Honey, no. Put that down. It's dirty. (laughs) Oh, God. And then the the other part of this that cracked me up is that they're going into the the yerk pool now, which, first of all, it was, like, such a minor transition. Like, going into the yerk pool isn't the big deal it was in book one. Like, that was the whole lead to in book one. And now it's like... Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, they're at the mall. They're about to go in the York pool. Um, but the the next part that cracked me up is Cassie and Rachel go to the Gap, and they're talking about Marco's change of heart. Then they talk about Tobias, too. They say that they, they're jealous of him sitting out the mission, but they know it's tearing him up. And then Rachel says, pick something out to try on. And Cassie's like, I, what? Like, that? I don't know what to pick. And so Rachel hands her a sweater, and she's like, I would never wear something that's dry clean only. And then the oh very god. next thing she does is morph a cockroach without batting an eye. Like, oh my god! <laughs> so I felt that so hard though. Whenever I see something that's dry clean only, I'm like, nope. See ya. Oh god, I put it back down. Fuck that. No, nope. yep. especially here's the dumbest one to me. When you're at um, like buying clothes for horseback riding, they have some some brands have really nice sweaters for that are supposedly like part of their riding brand. And then you read the mm-hmm. tag and it's like dry clean only. I'm like, I'm wearing this to a barn. I'm not gonna yeah. get this dry clean. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get covered in dust and poop and flies and God knows what else. Yeah. Hell no. Slobber and like, oh God. I wipe my hands like on my own body on a regular basis at the barn to clean them off. Like, um, yeah. 
Yeah. Freaking, why is there such an expectation for equestrians to look really nice and, like, you're working with horses. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like the fancy thing. Like, the more money you have, like, they, they want you to look like the expensive riders, but, like... Rich people don't get dirty? Like, what? Yeah, because they just hand off their horses to their groom at the end and go squatting uh... off to go drink in the club and watch the polo match and the... <laughs> Sorry, my snobbiness is really coming out now. <laughs> yeah. If, if you see anybody at the barn wearing a really fancy sweater, if they're wearing a clean fancy sweater, then you know that they're like, they're they not cool. They don't handle their horses. They're from Eagleton. They're from Eagleton. <laughs> they're not from Pawnee. <laughs> What's this horse dancing? <laughs> Actually, that was one of my favorite things ever was uh, we went to Kentucky for um, the event formerly known as Rolex, but it's now the Land Rover three-day event. And we were oh at a Cracker Barrel. And as we were checking out, the guy, like, he there, he was, like, looking at our debit card or something, like, something that told him we weren't from the area. It might have just been our accents. I don't really know. But he was saying something like, oh, what are you guys in town for? And we're like, oh, for, for Rolex. And he goes, oh, you mean the horse dancing? I died. I was like, yes, the horse dancing. <laughs> and he said it with that southern twang, too. And I, I like, I don't know if I paid or tipped or anything. I blacked out from there. That was, like, the highlight of my trip. And I just blacked oh everything God. else out. It's <laughs> like, we're not going to get better than this, guys. Call it done. Jeez. Jeez. Oh, it was so good. Oh, that was a really long tangent. <laughs> that was a long way of saying... I'm with you, Cassie. Dry clean only, no way. Yeah, dry clean only, not acceptable. I 100% agree with Cassie on this one. <laughs> yeah, that was the one part so, of Rachel that I never quite got, was the whole, like, spending a lot of money on clothes, looking really nice, and doing your makeup. I'm like, the rage, yeah. the the battling, the, like, the bravado, I'm all, I love those parts. And then it's like, and I'm also, like, a fashionista, and I'm like, I don't understand. Nope. So... <laughs> Yeah. So, anyways, they um they morph in the changing room into cockroaches, <laughs> and they do have um they're observing caution. I that I did not say that right. They're being careful again, uh, and they're coming in with first you know Rachel and Cassie, and then Marco comes in, and then it's Axe and Jake, and Axe of course has to go through the morph to Andalite them back. And the only reason they even mention that is to like talk about how he filled up the changing room space and then down. And that was it. It's not again like we were saying earlier. It's not a weird thing. It's not to call out that he's an alien again. It's just you mm -hmm. know it's normal now. Mm -hmm. um, so they hide under the bench, and then soon after, a controller shows up, gets in there, and clicks open the back mirror, and they scurry in after him. Um, and then he's, they say he's going down a ramp and they do, they call out, it's a dirt ramp with just footprints oh. in it. Yeah. So I was like, once again, revisiting my views of what the Yerk pool looks like. No. And I, <laughs> this is probably like, you know, getting way too into detail, but like, it, it's once again, that whole, like, it's probably under construction. So this isn't fully developed out yet and blah, blah, blah. And then after the dirt ramp, there's a stairway, but they don't call out what that is. So is that dirt? Is it like metal stairs? Is it, I, I don't know. <clears throat> so yeah. And they keep checking in with Axe too during this, like how many minutes have gone past and Axe, that's, you know, starts the running gag, like you were saying earlier of like, oh, 46 of your minutes have passed. 
They're everybody's oh, I had a question friends. for you. Yeah. So that's the time that Marco says the your minutes now to Axe. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you think Axe took that comment? Is Do you think it was more like a, ah, they accept me? Or don't remind me that I'm stuck on Earth? Like, what do you think it was? That's hard to say because... Well, I mean, you probably know all the answers. Well, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well um, I, I, it's it's a theme that's visited, but like I I, I won't have specific citations for you um, going forward. Mm-hmm. But I think Axe is never. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think through how to say this without getting too far ahead of myself and going into uh-huh. spoiler territory. But um, you know, you don't have to answer either. I just wanted. To- I'll, I'll try. I'll give it a shot. It might not be a good answer, but I'm going to give it a shot. Cool. So, uh, Axe is not... Andalites in general don't really think of being on another planet like this as trapped in the sense that, like, in the sense that Tra- Tobias thinks he's trapped as a hawk or Yerkes are, you know, mm-hmm. the hosts are trapped. Like, he doesn't visit... He doesn't feel the same way about that sort of thing. Like, he's on Earth, but... It's temporary. His people are going to come pick him up. And him yeah. signing up for the Andalite army, or most of his people signing up for the Andalite army, is to be in space and isolated. So they're, like, trained for this. So this is more to him, like, an extension of him being an Andalite Arsith and learning. Like, it, okay. it's not so much that he's like, oh, I'm I'm absolutely trapped. in. That's still a concern for him. I think mm-hmm. that he... In this moment, probably it didn't send him down the path that it might have, like, Tobias, if you say you're trapped. Like, he probably recognized that it was a joke from Marco. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a joke, but he recognized that Marco often says things that aren't true and other people find that funny. And he probably just took it as a learning experience. I don't think this would have spiraled him down into this whole, like, I will never see my family again. I'll never see, you know, my people again. This is blah, blah. And the other thing is he's still, like, he's sworn loyalty to Jake. Like, that's his prince now. And it would be very dishonorable to go against his prince that he is sworn to. So... Mm -hmm. He it's he's part of the team, so I like I don't think this would have affected him in the same way it would affect a human. Is I guess what I'm trying to get sure. to. Okay, I gotcha. Okay, hopefully that made sense. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> oh man, where are we? We're in the Yerk pool. Yeah, so they get down there. <laughs> they get down there, and they smell French fries. Potatoes. Potatoes. I just want to say it differently because you said potatoes. You say potato. I, I say, say potato. potato. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go different. <laughs> no, I was going the Christopher Walken route. <laughs> oh no, I forgot about that. Did you? Oh, oh no. no, now Champagne? Lasagna. I put googly eyes. Wow! Wowie! Wow! Sorry, Christopher Walken <laughs> is a treasure. I love him. He's a national treasure. He is a national treasure. Oh, God. I, if he Tangents. was a controller, that's what would kick me out of this this war. Like, if I was an Animorph and I found out Christopher Walken was a controller, I'd be like, fucking end it, guys. It's over. All hope is lost. Wrap it up. All hope is lost. Get out. <laughs> uh, <God>. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> so, so they go to the cafeteria in the Yerk pool. Um, which is probably serving McDonald's. I mean, who knows? Uh, and <laughs> they're creeping around, 
and they get they're they're like oh we smell something weird something weird is passing us and they realize it's a taxon and the next thing they know it slurps them up onto its tongue mm-hmm. yeah so um they're freaking out and then all of a sudden everything freezes and they're humans again and they're like what is happening <laughs> And, and everything around them is frozen. Everything, yeah. And, like, the steam off of, like, mugs of coffee is frozen completely it's so still. It's so cool, like, in the cafeteria. But then they walk out of the cafeteria, and they're, like, looking around the pool. And there's, like, host bodies that are screaming, and their faces are frozen with, like, tears streaming down their face. And yurks halfway out of out yeah. of their heads. and That's less cool. That was less cool. But then <laughs> Tobias is there, and he's human Tobias. Oh, I this this no. this next part made me like really. Oh man, because like Rachel is like, "Holy shit, Tobias!" and she runs up to him, and he his immediate reaction is to like flap his wings and freak out because he's been a hawk for so long, and he like doesn't know how to handle somebody just running at him. Yeah, and that like broke my heart a little bit. That. Broke my heart, and then I also wondered if maybe this was, like, more of their relationship in a nutshell. Like, um, I, I'm probably reading way too far into this, but I'm going to throw myself out there anyways. <laughs> so, it made me wonder if this was really just, like, an example of what their relationship is like, where Tobias is happy that Rachel's there. And obviously, after he calmed down, he got his hug from Rachel, and they were fine. But it's, like, Rachel is pushing him out of his comfort zone and making him do something and, like, or doing something to him that scares the shit out of him. And then he kind of adapts to her. And, like, they lean on each other that way. So it it just, I saw this as, like, a glimpse into what goes on between them more than anything else. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that occurred to me. (laughs) Um, And then they're trying to, like... Once Tobias is there, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and I think it's Marco that says, this is a yerk trick. And X goes, no, 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 this is way beyond the yerks, and this is way beyond the Andalites, too. And that's when the booming voice sounds in their head, or not in their head. The voice of God. The voice of God. And uh, it's the Elemist, as X points out mysteriously, who's, X is scared shitless of this guy, and the kids are kind of like, who's this fucking joker now? Um... (laughs) And the Elemis goes, I'll appear to you in a form you can understand. And so he picks a force ghost from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember in that episode of Invader Zim where, like, Dib's, like, lying in his bed and this, like, these aliens appear to him as, like, flying shoes? And he's like, why are you flying shoes? And it's like, this is a form your brain can understand. <laughs> I do remember that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, that would have been funny. Oh my! Instead, he's a force ghost, but that would have yeah. been so much better. Like flying, like. Oh, anyway, that's what it made me think of. Oh my god! So, um, he appears as a force ghost, or what would have been better, flying pair of shoes. <laughs> and he's he's talking to them, and Axe is scared shitless, and the kids are really giving him shit. Like they're just this is. They're done. They don't want to deal with anything else like this. And, uh... This is so out of left field for them. They're just like, fuck you, man. Yeah, they're like, come on, stop fucking with us. This isn't funny. 
And then um, he breaks it to them that he's there to have them decide the fate of the entire human race. So no Yay. biggie. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. No pressure. Um, and he promises them that there's this beautiful planet that they'll bring them to. They'll let them choose some of their family members, friends, whatever, as well as a good genetic basis to breed the human race on. And yeah. they'll bring them to this new planet. I mean, they don't specifically say to breed them, but we all know what good genetic sampling specimens, like, yeah, we know where that's leading. Mm-hmm. So he said they'll bring them there. Um or they can keep fighting, but they will go back into this exact situation. So, that's fun. And uh, I'll, I'll start talking more about the Elemis, because I think I have this ordered correctly. So I'll hold that point, start talking about what the Elemis does to them, which is he starts talking about the beauty of Earth and how much of a piece of art it is, basically. And mm-hmm. he brings them to the bottom of the ocean, to this beautiful coral reef and sharks and rays and fish that have every imaginable color. And then he takes them to the African plains over a pride of lions. And in the background, there's zebras and gazelles and things. And then he takes them to uh, an amazing city with skyscrapers that are huge and all these bustling people and then a concert and then a meeting, which is really boring. I don't know why he took them to an international <laughs> meeting, but he did. Um, that would have been where I checked out. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, out. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I was on board until that bullshit. Right, exactly. As soon as I saw, heard this conference call, I said, nuke the earth. <laughs> Done. Um, and then he takes him to a soccer game and he ends on a painting, which Rachel says she thinks is Iris's. It's probably Van Gogh. Yeah. So I was wondering who you thought that was. Uh, it's Van Gogh does a, a painting of purple irises. So I think it's a Van Gogh. And, being a Whovian myself, and the only episode uh, yeah. I've ever paid for, like, not on Netflix or whatever, was... That was a good episode, though. Oh, my fucking God, the Van Gogh episode. That made me cry. It it did. It made me feel a lot of emotions. I didn't cry, but I felt Well, you them. never cry. I never cry. I just tear you up because I laugh. <laughs> I didn't cry at Coco. I'm heartless. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, it was probably Van Gogh, which was... Oh, man. If you guys don't, if you're not into Doctor Who, the long short of it is that um, he he basically goes to Van Gogh. There's an alien species running around. That's really the subplot of the whole thing. At the end of the episode, after he spends the whole time hanging out with Van Gogh and, and he's creating art and they're trying to convince him he's not a worthless painter because nobody will pay him and because he's getting kicked out of bars left and right, all that sort of shit. They take him to the uh, Musée d'Orsay. I think I'm saying that right. And they show him an entire exhibit of his own work. And they just walk up to the curator of the museum and say, like, as Van Gogh is looking at all of his work on the walls. And there's like a short joking moment about, oh, God, they put the hay bales up. That's embarrassing. (laughs) They ask the curator to say, why have you put up this exhibit? What do you think of Van Gogh? And he does this amazing poetic thing of if you look into this, a man who is so deep in his own depression to be able to see such joy and express it in the colors and the movements of these paintings, it's, it's incredible. And there's never been an artist this good and there never will be another one again. Like it was just, it's this incredible speech. And especially as like an artist, it, it hits you in the gut. Oh my God. So I'm, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. I know it's such a good episode. And so good. The actors are amazing. Oh yeah. It's part of uh, the Eleventh Doctor and the Amy Rory arc. 
So, mm-hmm. anyways, that's that's Doctor Who, <laughs> the other alien yeah. show that we talk about? <laughs> Question mark. What if the Doctor just shows up in Animorphs? Oh my God, that would be. I saw. Um, I haven't read it, but I saw a short description for a fan fiction somebody posted about. Um, the tenth Doctor and Rose, my favorite combo, showing up oh, to um, to help out the Animorphs and take them on an adventure. And I was like, best. I've never wanted to read something more in my life. And then I set it aside. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they they basically promise that he can save a few of their species. He'll relocate them to this planet, and he will also move some other things of interest to him. He doesn't specify what. Um, assumingly interesting animal species, that sort of thing. Um, but the choice is theirs. And that starts this whole conversation of they're just moving us to a nature preserve. They're just going to breed us. And then Tobias says, they're taking us to a zoo. Mm-hmm. And and Cassie's like, this guy's an environmentalist and he's trying to save an endangered species. We're the whales. We're the, the spotted owls. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's a really good metaphor holy shit this is such a good moment with cassie where she's like i the animals that i help out of traps the animals that i rehabilitate it is all for their own good but they are scared of me they they try to attack me are we doing this are we being too scared are we not seeing the bigger picture you know Mm -hmm. oh it was such a good argument Mm -hmm. so they they have that and they argue back and forth um X says he's not going to weigh in on this because he's not a human, it's not his race, and he doesn't uh, think he'll do it, but he follows Prince Jake's lead. So X yeah. is out. So it's just down to the kids now, and um, they Rachel doesn't vote technically, but Marco says, okay, two no votes with, you know, Rachel Tobias, Cassie's a yes, um, and then Marco votes no, which puts them at, you know, they're not going to do it. They're not going to you know, go with this. And Rachel has this moment of like, well, I didn't say no, but he's right. And that kind of made me mad because he's right. And then also um, she thinks about Tobias. She goes, but if Tobias is a no vote and he's willing to stay in this fight, then I can do no less than that. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw that again as the push pull of like, Tobias is now putting her into that situation and pushing her and she's going to like rise up to meet that challenge. So it, I just, I really love their dynamic because it, really feels like a a constant push and pull like they're constantly pushing each other to make themselves better and they're always supportive of the other person and Mm -hmm. i just really i like that together i actually had a note to talk to you about this about how much i just liked that Mm -hmm. that they do that for each other and that um they plan each other's strengths because Tobias really, you know, he's always considered the wimpy kid. He thinks he himself thinks he's weak. He sees Rachel as this pillar of strength. So she's that to him, but she also, he's kind of her emotional center and he's the one that can kind of talk her down when she's gotten too much in her own head. Mm-hmm. So I just, I mean, he's so strong. Like, like so the Elemist was basically like, Tobias, like if you, if you say yes to this, you can go back to being a human and he is immediately like that's you know something he's been trying to reconcile with the whole time and now that he has this opportunity immediately he goes no that's not fair like i'm not gonna not i'm not gonna let you use me like that. Yeah. yeah 
Oh, and it's, I was just like, you baby, oh my god. I, and it's the exact same thing he does in book five, where they're like, we can't get Tobias out if we morph small to escape. And Tobias mm-hmm. goes, you, uh, you go. I'm staying here. I'd rather know you guys are out there fighting for Earth. You leave me behind. Yeah. And, oh, man. He's, Fucking Tobias. He's so strong. And that's, a, that's another thing that makes that relationship dynamic between them work, is that Rachel could bowl over any other guy, and she can have any other guy she wants. Like, she's gorgeous. Everybody loves her. She could get dates left and right. Tobias is the one she goes with, and she can never overpower him because even though he's quiet and calm and emotional and that silent type, he is so strong. Mm-hmm. It's I just love that so much about them. Yeah, and they both have, like, that fire inside of them. Like, even though Rachel's is kind of, like, out in the open and mm-hmm. Tobias is more, like, inside of him, but they both have that thing. Oh, and, yeah. oh, man, it's so good. Absolutely. And, like, later in the book, like, Tobias, whenever given the chance, he will fight just as much as mm-hmm. Rachel will. The only difference mm-hmm. is because he is trapped as he is, he just doesn't get the chances that she does. Yeah. So... Yeah. Ah. So, uh. ah. <laughs> we'll just make noises for the next 40 minutes that are just angrily like, ah! <laughs> ah, emotions. Emotions. Uh, it's, I'm just so, like, I don't know. I don't even know how I'm feeling. Like, it's almost like a mixture of, like, proud of him and really, like, I, I don't know. I guess proud is a good word, maybe. He's a good, good kid. He's such a good kid. He's so strong. Good hawk kid. Good hawk kid. Anyways. <laughs> but Getting... yeah, anyways, they say no to the to the Elemist, and the Elemist is like, all right, but if you guys survive this, I'm going to ask again. Mm-hmm. And then time resets, and they're back inside the Taxon's face. Yes. Um, and then while they were frozen, they noticed a drop shaft. So the plan oh, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. get the fuck out of the Taxon, <laughs> and get to that drop shaft. Yeah. So they... They pull a, a Jonah and the whale, and they start demorphing inside the taxon. Basically, Axe gets his tail out, and he slices the taxon open, and they just, like, burst out of it. It's disgusting and amazing. <laughs> They're covered in goo and gross. Yeah. And um, four bug humans and one bug andalite pops out of this taxon, and no one does anything. <laughs> they just stare blankly. <laughs> they do. They stare blankly. And Jake says, let's get out of here before they can think about it. <laughs> so that's how that problem is solved. So um, at this point, like, they're human. Like, they're covered in goo, but they're human. Mm-hmm. But can anybody tell? Because as soon as they, like, demorphed and came out of this taxon, I'm like, oh, shit, they've exposed themselves as not Andalite Bandalites. Yeah. I, see, I don't know. Like, I don't think people saw them as, like, their half-bug morphs just because they were coming out of the taxon and they're so huge, the taxon probably blocked their view. But as mm-hmm. they're running, a grown-ass man knocks Rachel over and tries to choke her out. Right. So, so yeah. Like, I, I don't know if they think that they've been able to, like, double morph except for one of them or what. Like, maybe yeah, it's, it's, it's just unclear. Yeah, it's a little ambiguous as to who knows how many of them know and who lives to be able to tell the tale. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, these are, like, the moments where it's, like, I think there's whispers of, of course, like, these children are, like, they might be children, not 
Andalites, but we're never yeah. going to tell Visitor 3 that. Oh, sure. So, yeah, because Visitor 3 isn't there in this particular scene, so he there would be no way that, like, Visitor 3 missed it or something like that. So right. we'll assume in the chaos they just didn't see them demorphing and they think they're Andalites and human morph somehow. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe they don't know about the technology because the next thing that happens... Um, after the grown man tries choking out Rachel, Axe chops off the man's arm. And Rachel's like, thanks, bruh. And uh, thanks, then bro. she starts morphing to Grizzly. And, like, if they knew about the morphing technology, which is some of them do, some of them don't, they would have known that she shouldn't be able to morph into Grizzly immediately from human if she was an Andalite. But right. let's assume in the chaos we all got confused. Who knows? And then the next thing that happens is uh, Rachel goes into berserker mode. She morphs to Grizzly mm-hmm. and completely lets herself go into the morph. Like, yeah, blackout morph. Yeah, I just wrote down, Rachel kills everyone. <laughs> yeah, she does. And even at the end of it, like, the, the the scene itself is like, oh, she's she's slashing, she's brutalizing, she's doing whatever she can. And then the next thing she knows is Jake screaming at her, you're out of control. And she's trying to slash Jake open. Mm-hmm. Like, she followed him into the drop shaft, and she's, like, following him up, trying to, like, get at him. And that's, <laughs> I guess, how Jake got her out of the situation. <laughs> she's in a rage! She's the maddest she's ever been! <laughs> yup. <laughs> that's basically yeah. what happened. Um, so. Yes. Um. So I had a point uh, with this um, that I had a note that I wrote down. Um, so earlier when Rachel's thinking about like her parents mm-hmm. and her dad specifically, and I think her parents had a conversation that like they wanted a boy for their next baby. And then, and then the dad's like, oh, well, you know, we have Rachel. She's like better than any boy. And then yep. the mom's like, little girls don't want to hear them hear you say stuff like that. And then that got me thinking like, okay, Rachel always she kind of suppresses her emotions at least her like her her sad emotions Mm -hmm. and all of her emotions manifest into like anger yeah and that got me thinking about how like society encourages specifically males to suppress their emotions and that can manifest into them you know explosive because they're not like healthily dealing with these emotions and that's why like they have these like angry bursts. Not, I'm not trying to like be like all men are, you know, like right. this. But um, not trying to generalize. But um, yeah, but I wonder if like somewhere in her upbringing, Rachel was kind of encouraged to suppress her emotions like that, and that's why she is so like she can get very hostile and she can get have these kind of violent outbursts. I I mean I could totally see that with her dad just being because. The relationship she seems to have with her dad even now is like he'll imply something to her and she wants to like live up to that she wants to impress it like how many times in this book did she say would my dad be proud of me for what i'm doing with the animorphs i wish i could yeah. tell him so yeah. that's like anytime her dad says to her like you know she's crying about something he's like oh you know be be strong don't do that like, oh yeah and even at the end of the book it mentions something about that too doesn't it like there's a comment where she's like my dad would have said something like you know oh cheer up it can't all be that bad mm-hmm. so i could totally see that happening yeah and also and I was just kind of like don't let her cry <laughs> yeah right it's like let her let her feel that but also that's like this is what 
I resonates with me like kind of on a personal level because it's always like it's a point of pride to be able to stay strong and to not have those emotions other than you know acceptable ones and I say that in quotation Mm -hmm. marks you know like you can show anger in a certain amount but you can't show like sadness or weakness so you can show certain things in certain ways but it it can never be too much like it I I totally that totally resonates with me and the whole like you know you're a tomboy you're into this stuff that people don't expect you to be in and it's like yeah like that was me as a child and probably Mm -hmm. now I'm probably deeply damaged (laughs) but um that was like as a kid it's like look how strong I am look what I can do look how much I can lift look how you know look how much better I am at this than the boys look at you know and well and that goes the other way too like you know society kind of teaches girls like you can't get angry you can't like try you can't get in anyone's way like if you project yourself in a certain way society's gonna reject you so it totally goes the other way too because i grew up like that i grew up just kind of not wanting to upset anybody or cause any sort of strife yeah yeah no it's that's totally accurate and I think I mentioned this back in, like, episode two. Like, I got into a fight with a friend of mine because he was a boy, and we wanted to see if boys or girls are stronger. <laughs> like, it's so, it's so stupid how much this informs you as a person. Like, just these comments and things. Like, I mean, this is probably me, like, again, thinking of this character in a book as a real person, but, like, think about how this stuck with her for all of these years Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she thinks back on when thinking of her parents is how her dad's so proud of her for being like a boy and for being strong. And, and like that informs you as a person, especially at that age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I can totally see that. And then her like going into the morphs too. like she still has this pressure because how how often do we hear in these books like I look to Rachel for strength or we needed Rachel's crazy. We needed Rachel's bravery. We need her to do mm-hmm. that. And so it's like she can't drop this facade at this point either because now she has her friends relying on her and it it's an asset in these books like this is an asset to the team yeah but for her personally this isn't it's not tearing her apart yeah it's tearing her apart and it's not healthy you're tearing me apart rachel (laughs) (laughs) this is bullshit i did not (laughs) i did not hit her i did not hit her (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god uh, it's difficult i wrote a note about that too but i wrote it okay. from the point of i absolutely resonated with this like this mm-hmm. was as a kid this was me i'm gonna prove i'm stronger than you i'm gonna prove i'm better than you um and then if i can't do it i'm gonna reject it as stupid <laughs> oh like math stupid don't need it see this is you're still me a... as a person <laughs> you're such a fire sign it's awesome <laughs> about how intense i am yeah 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 well it's you know i'd still suffer from this to this day (laughs) like it's still like anyways we'll go back to the book because like i i think this is something that we we can keep revisiting especially in rachel books but as we watch rachel's characters change i would love to come back and keep revisiting this commentary on her person um Mm -hmm. As it gets mentally different throughout. I, I think this is something that we'll, we'll revisit several times. But it was good. Like, this is the first, like, baseline of where we're going to go with Rachel's personality. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, after the whole Yerkpool thing happens, they get to the top of the drop shaft. 
Uh, Axe is taking out the security, and he's trying to morph human, but they're all exhausted. Uh, they've mm-hmm. totally, Rachel especially, she doesn't remember getting home. She just remembers walking into her house and going to sleep. And then she's trying to wake up to her alarm the next morning. And her mom's saying, you showed up at our house at 9 p.m. barefoot wearing a leotard and didn't talk to me, didn't eat dinner. You just went to bed? Like, some, what's going on? Like, I know your dad's giving you this, like, shit choice, but, like, what's going on? And she's kind of joking and laughing and saying, like, yeah, that's my problem. My problem is what dad said. Sure, mom. Like, you oh, fucking yeah. idiot. She's just like, Ugh. Yeah. She's, she's like, her mom's just being dumb at this point. Not that her mom has any way of knowing, but it's like, you dumbass, this isn't even the slightest bit of my problem right now. Like, you don't understand how shitty my problem actually is. No one understands me. No one understands me. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, and then her mom kind of, like, says, when I get home tonight, we'll discuss this and get mm-hmm. your sister on the bus. And she leaves. And Rachel just goes to her other sister, Jordan, and says, get Sarah on the bus. And Rachel stays the fuck home. She does. She skips school. And she watches the TV and watches, like, presumably Jerry Springer and is like, I wish I had these people's problems. This is so stupid. So she does that and... um then she turns on the tv and sees her dad on the news and she's just eating a grilled cheese sandwich like with the tv on on mute and then she starts screaming what do i do yeah (laughs) probably not healthy and then she turns on the volume and her dad's saying like and you know it's such a great opportunity we'll miss you but he's like yeah i'm on to bigger and better things and that's she rages she rages um she rages and then she turns into an eagle and goes flying for a while. Mm-hmm. She escapes within the morph again. She Yeah, she absolutely leans into the morph and just, um, as we find out in the next scene, flies around from, like, noon to, like, late afternoon. And she it's been enough time that she had to come down, demorph, and then went flying again. Oh, my God. And the way we find this out is that they're having their meeting at the barn, and Marco says, where were you today? It, there's a little bit about Cassie asking her to help help Cassie with the Kestrel, which sm- smallest falcon in the U.S. and the only one that hates my guts consistently. Um, <laughs> they do. Kestrels hate me. And then uh, Marco says, where were you today? And Rachel is very defensive. Oh, yeah. Not here. And then Tobias says, oh, I saw an eagle flying around noon. I should have known that was you because eagles don't really do that. That was a little out of character. So I should have known that was you. And Rachel's like, can I get any privacy around here? Like, do you Mm -hmm. have to know what I'm doing all the time? Mm -hmm. And um, for her to snap at Tobias, you know, it's probably pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. they, They basically Rachel explodes when Jake starts to get on her case. When it's Marco and Tobias, she can snap back. But when Jake starts going getting on her she's like listen this is the shit that i have going down my dad wants me to move away and and cassie goes oh no like what are you thinking about doing and rachel's like the fuck do you think i'm gonna do (laughs) yeah you know she's very upset about this and uh there's no way she should be letting this bother her so she thinks and cassie makes a point of like well different things bother different people different amounts it's like a personal thing it's not you know it maybe it's really getting to you and rachel's just not having any of it (laughs) so while this is all going down and rachel's trying to decide whether or not she can 
go with her dad, who's a jerk for dumping this on her, or stay with the Animorphs, the Elemis pops up again. This is right after Marco decides to change his vote, which I think is what is the catalyst for the Elemis popping up. Yeah, because um, Jake also had an interesting moment where, like, he and Rachel are yelling at each other, and, and he finally, he's just like, you know what, I'm tired of having the answers. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of, like, breaks down a little bit, and because everyone has seen from their previous experience with the Elemist that the Elemist basically told them like if you continue to fight the human race is gonna lose and so everyone's mm-hmm. kind of going through this whole like well what the fuck is the point of anything then if right. we're all just gonna die or become controllers exactly and what like what is the point he's this all-knowing deity basically force yeah. ghost is telling them that they're gonna lose and there's no way to win and why bother? And Jake's clearly already exhausted, and he's coming off of his, uh, him being a slave of the Yerk that was his <laughs> brother, like, his brother's yeah. Yerk. So, he's, he's messed up. And they were saying it was almost a visible change, too. Like, he just, the facade dropped, and instead of mm-hmm. looking like he was contr- in control and in charge, his eyes were red, he looks exhausted, and he's like, I can't fucking tell you what to do. If you're gonna be this way, you do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Like, he just cannot give a shit. Um, And then Marco is scared. He's like, if this is Rachel breaking down now, what's the hope for the rest of us? You know? So it's like, Jake sees the breakdown of the human race as a cause for defeat, and Marco sees the breakdown of Rachel as the cause for defeat. And, like, this is another, like, I think in the last book, he said something like, well, if Rachel's agreeing with me, then Mm -hmm. you know I'm making the wrong decision. Yeah. then I, I think Marco really looks to Rachel for insight a lot. Yeah. Like this, since this keeps like coming up, like I think he can really, based on her reactions, really gauge a situation, which is interesting. Do you think he sees Rachel as his opposite foil? And so when she so he not... just does the antithesis of yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't want to be. I don't want to be like, yes, because I think in a joking way he would, but I think Marco is so logical that he would, mm-hmm. he would gauge the situation depending, like he would sometimes agree with Rachel if the situation called for it. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, it's probably more, thinking about this now, I, it's probably more like, since Rachel is all emotion and he's all logic, that mm-hmm. they, they'll... Like I've said, they land on the same side a lot of the time, yeah. but he probably sees it when Rachel goes overboard with the emotion. It It's so foreign to him that he, it like makes him second guess what he's doing, I think. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I don't know. So the Elemist, after Marco changes his vote, transports them somewhere, and they don't really know where, but Tobias is back as a human and Axe is there. And um, it's Tobias that says, this is the school. What it is is a reduced pile of rubble in front of them. Mm -hmm. And things are wrong. Like Cassie points out, those trees are dead. The sky smells, like it looks weird. It's a weird color. The air smells funny. Things are wrong. And they were like, oh, let's look around. Like the Elemist wants us to look. Let's look. And um, they look inside of the building and they see a skeleton of what is presumably their dead history teacher. And they realize it's probably been a while to make a 
freaking full-blown skeleton instead of just a dead body. So they're trying to, like, figure out where they are in time. They don't really know. Um, they decide to walk towards the mall. And as they're walking there, they see, like, a big monorail. And uh, that's moving, as Axe says, like, 300 miles an hour. And <laughs> Marco goes, you mean not your hours? And he goes, there might be kilometers. And, like, you know, they're joking back and forth, but, like... The whole while they're passing out these basically like bombed out remains of everything they knew and like mm-hmm. trucks are stopped on the highway with skeletons behind the wheel and it's and... like that scene in serenity oh yeah yeah oh my god except it was like so much more violent on the outskirts yeah i actually almost thought of it like um some of the scenes like in the walking dead when they'd go past like the highways that are just backed up the entire not so much the school part of it like the mm-hmm. highway where you just see like the cars like back to back to back and these are all the people that were trying to escape and some people just had to abandon their cars and others just died in where they were and Yikes. yeah so they they get to the mall and um they basically just see this the mall but it's a hive of taxons where the walls are opened up with giant holes and they're just you know crawling all over the space and uh, that's when they realize, like, hey, if Earth was taken, then probably they assume everybody's a human controller. So let's just pretend we're controllers and see what's up. So Axmorph's human, and he says it's too bad about them all because they had the best food. <laughs> Oops. And uh, then the Animorphs get onto this bullet train, which they say a 30-minute bus ride took about a minute and a half to get there and these trains are outfitted for taxons in the back cork visure in the front and then a ton of seating for people they say the biggest amount there was for people so they take that into the city and as they're going into it they can see like everything's wrong these big towers they're being like you know things are crawling all over them there's only one building in the middle of the city that's that's kind of still standing and the rest of it's really been either reduced to rubble or it's a taxon hive or it's something else is weird and when they get into the city they notice that in the middle of it there's this giant freaking yerk pool that's like the size of a lake they notice the host bodies that are trapped around there are just these people that are utterly defeated like they're mm-hmm. they're not even like screaming anymore like let me go they're just screaming and crying and they there's no hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so while they're wandering around kind of viewing all these horrific things, this woman kind of bumps into Rachel, who instinctively goes, excuse me. And the woman turns around and goes, what's your name? And she's asking what's her yerk name, not what's her name. So Rachel's mm-hmm. kind of freaking out. And Tobias goes, her name's none of your concern. It's his name that you have to think about. And she's like, what? And he goes, it's his name you're concerned about. His name is Visor 3. And he points to Axe. And uh, the woman's kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then Axe starts demorphing. And she just goes, oh my god, it's Visor 1. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's freaking out because, of course, he's going to behead her, obviously. Um and she takes off, and they're like, okay, so what do we do now? Like, Axe said some bullshit thing, like, you know, ah, if you weren't so vigilant, I would have had to behead you for being such a fool, and um, so he lets her go. She takes off, and they're like, okay, word's gonna spread that Visor 3, sorry, Visor 1, congrats on the promotion, buddy, is here. <laughs> and um, while that conversation's happening, they're trying to decide what to do, Rachel realizes she's strangely drawn to this bug fighter that's about to land. So she's walking towards it, and 
out of this bug fighter steps Visor 3 and this woman. And Visor 3, you know, yeah, he's scary, dark, blah, 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 the usual bullshit. Um, and then she realizes that there's this 22, 23-year-old girl, and she goes, hi, Rachel, to which the girl responds, hi, Rachel, because it's uh, Rachel! Bizarro! Bizarro! <laughs> and Rachel meets herself, the controller version of herself. Uh, and she starts monologuing like, oh, how did you find this? Well, obviously everything is as it was before because I've been here. I remember it from when I was you. And it's kind of this weird back and forth where Rachel's kind of like our Rachel, young Rachel, is not quite knowing what to think of this. And Jake is going, what choice did we make? And old Rachel goes, obviously the right one. And Cassie says, let's get out of here. Because they decide, obviously, Visor 3 and Rachel can't kill them because that would change the past. So Mm -hmm. Cassie's like, screw this. Let's get out of here. She trips into young Rachel. Old Rachel, like, grabs young Rachel's arm to steady her. And Axe whips his tail at the older Rachel because she looks like she's going to jump young Rachel or something. And that's when the old Rachel starts freaking out. And so they realize, oh my god, something's different. Something is not the same as it was. And Mm -hmm. that's when they're like, okay, shit. What's our choice going to be now? Because this is different. That's kind of the end of the scene there. Because Rachel have this realization. And then shit breaks loose. Because young Rachel is turning into a grizzly bear. (laughs) So that ends the conversation portion of our day. And suddenly young Rachel's going into berserker mode again. Rachel's Mm -hmm. freaking out because things are different and she says what are we gonna do and Visor 3 goes what are you gonna do I'm running and that's when young Rachel goes and charges Visor 3 knocks him to the ground lifts up her paw because she's gonna deliver the like killing blow to Visor 3 and then she's a human she smacks her hand on a tree trunk because the Elemis pulled him out just in time and Rachel's really frustrated that she didn't get to kill Visor 3 yeah so what did you think of this whole conversation between Rachel, young Rachel and old Rachel? Uh, well, actually, I was thinking, um, you know, old Rachel didn't say, like, oh, you made the choice to, to stay and fight. Like, she just mm-hmm. said you made the right choice. So I was kind of thinking, like, okay, what if only some of the Animorphs chose to stay and fight and the others chose to go with the Elemist? Like, it was really kind of open to interpretation. I think the main part of the conversation that I even latched onto, because this was so, it almost felt so incidental to me. Like, this Mm -hmm. conversation held no real merit towards the plot of the book. It was more like them just trying to, like, posture. Well, and it was, I I think it was just a method to show them that they can, there there are many different timelines. Like, there's not just one Mm -hmm. straight timeline that they're destined to go down. Like, they can change the past and it will affect the future but yeah that's a good point the the whole thing was kind of incidental oh and then the the part that i i didn't mention um visor three tries to like mess with rachel by telling her that uh when he captured them all they ate tobias and she ate tobias laughing with barbecue sauce and that was just fucked up like it didn't so fucked up. it didn't hold any bearing other than making Rachel mad. It's just fucked up. What happens after that? What happens after that is that they have the same conversation again about what to do. Like oh, yeah. wh- who's going to vote no, who's going to vote yes, what's going to happen? And um they Rachel she's going to say 
known or she's gonna say yes to going to the planet now she's gonna say no to saving the earth because clearly if she stayed to save the earth then she's gonna be controller so that happens and then jake's defeated i think he's the only one that still wants to stay and fight everybody else kind of taps out at that point i don't remember tobias weighing in on this conversation Mm -hmm. yeah i think jake's really the only one that's still ready so jake says yeah take us take us away preserve us and nothing happens nothing happens (laughs) so uh they're in school the next day they're all on edge they're all expecting to be like taken out at any point in time not really sure what to do and rachel's sitting in the history class with the teacher who they found as a skeleton so uh yeah super awkward would not want to be in that situation so uh she's talking about world war ii and there's a little bit of you know, if America had joined and, the, you know, if they weren't so dedicated to peace, then they would have ended the war quicker and blah, blah, blah. So she's kind of like harping on this a little bit. And then she says, but, you know, there's no way to go back and change the past. And Cassie is the one that goes, why not? Like, why can't we speculate on the past and how it could be different? The teacher says something about like, well, we it's just a lot more complicated. It's not math. It's not one plus one equals two. It's so many different things and she brings up the the metaphor of the butterfly in china flaps its wings causes a hurricane and you know the other side of the world Mm -hmm. when the teacher's saying this she has a moment where her eyes kind of go funky and she looks at rachel and she repeats a single (laughs) butterfly a single butterfly a single (laughs) butterfly and then snaps out of it (laughs) and um yeah then she's like oh so anyways you have your readings and blah 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 so class ends Cassie and Rachel walk out together, and um, they talk about how everyone's waiting to be whisked away, and Cassie's, like, really, she's like, this doesn't feel right. Things feel wrong. That doesn't feel like the right choice. This doesn't feel like the right action from the Elemist. I, like, it just doesn't seem right. And um, Rachel's really kind of more focused on this whole butterfly thing, and, and she's like, well, you know, when does the butterfly know how to flap its wings? Like, she's... <laughs> Really, this metaphor is is sticking with her. So, um, Cassie's realizing, like, well, it seems like the element wants them to say yes. Maybe they don't. And and maybe he's, like, you know, not quite what he seems to be. And that's where they leave off, this turmoil and this, you know, discussion about this. And um, next thing we know, Rachel's having a dream where she's, like, kind of blending together all the actions that have happened over the past few days of like the yerk pool and the getting taken by the elements to like the hellscape future and kind of going back and forth between everything and and putting it together and all of a sudden she realizes like hey i know where the candrona is and she like sits up bolt upright in bed has this moment of like okay i gotta go right now um she stops to leave her mom a note saying she went for a run so her mom doesn't freak out she goes flying into Tobias's meadow again as a great horned owl as fast as she can. <laughs> and she's yelling shit at him like, we're going to change history. And he's like, Rachel, why are you doing this again? I asked you not to. And she's like, follow me. Um, we find out in the next scene that they apparently next burst into Marco's house and gave him a heart attack and got <laughs> him up. But um, we, we end up going to the barn. It was only an offhand comment from Marco that let us know that that's what they did. So they all end up at the barn together and Rachel's just like bouncing off the walls and she's like, every time the Elemist has appeared, he's given us a way out. 
And Cassie's with Rachel on this because she's the one that was talking about it at school earlier. And she thinks Rachel's figured out a piece of this. And, you know, maybe the Elemist himself is trapped. And so this is, he doesn't agree with us. And that's why he hasn't taken action. And Rachel's going, he points out the drop shaft. He talks, like, you know, he's talking about this, but he's really been on our side the whole time. Maybe he wants to save Earth. And when he took us to that hellscape, the only building left standing was the EGS Tower. That's where the Kindrona is. We have to go get it. The Eggs Tower. The Yeah, the Eggs Tower. And that's when uh, when Rachel brings up that butterfly thing again and something about flapping the butterfly. And Tobias repeats her same sentiment, which is, but how does the butterfly know when to flap its wings? And then Marco's like, and what does an Animorph do? And like, Because Rachel goes, oh, the butterfly can't know. It just has to flap his wings. And what does an Animorph do? And Rachel goes, kicking yerk butt. They take off to the EGS Tower, land in an alleyway, go to Battle Morphs. Cassie scares the shit out of a drunk guy, which is hilarious. Um, yeah, he goes running down the street, and then Marco has, like, the best interaction of all time, possibly, where he taps on the window as a gorilla, and the guard comes over, and he says, hey, uh, I just came from a masquerade party, I'm looking for Visor 3. And the guard goes, and a light. He goes, oh, good, you are a controller. That makes this easier. And punches through the glass and then takes the guy out. So that's going to go down as my favorite part of this book. Frickin Just Marco. so you know. They get into the building and they go to the elevator and they split up. So it's uh, Jake, Marco, Rachel in one elevator and Cassie and X in the other fright elevator. Because they can't get up in the normal elevator because Jake's a tiger, Marco's a gorilla. Rachel has gone grizzly, not elephant. So note, this is the change in her battle morph when she really does start doing grizzly more than elephant. And I think size well, issues has was the yeah. catalyst for this. She still does elephant sometimes, but this is where mm-hmm. she gets the grizzly and decides like that's going to be her main battle morph now. So cool. she's, yeah, she flipped. Um, and then, of course, Cassie's the wolf and Axe is himself. So get up to the top of the elevator, and uh, there's a bunch of hork outside. So they just start fighting their way out and, like, smashing through things. Um, Jake gets cut really badly. We don't... I think we don't hear exactly where he's cut. He just says it's bad. Mm-hmm. And then um, after they take out these hork the elevator next to them dings, and it's Cassie and Axe, and they're late because Axe pressed the wrong button. <laughs> I can just imagine him just like pressing all the buttons being like, ooh, That's what is exactly this what do? exactly what I pictured. Him just taking his seven-fingered Andalite hands and just like down uh-huh. the buttons. <laughs> so. Cassie's just like, no. Uh, fine. Okay. Next, we gotta stop at every floor now. Oh, God damn right. it. And her just hitting the closed door button like every single... <laughs> God damn it. Uh, she's the only one that would put up with it too because like Jake and Rachel and Marco would have all been like, you motherfucker, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and Cassie's just like, ah, well, oh, shit, all right. Okay. So, um, anyways, <laughs> once they're all joined together, they decide that they're going to go on and charge into this top room looking for the Kindrona, and, uh... Well, Rachel charges in, everyone's like, Rachel, is- okay, we're doing this. And this is, I love this part, because Rachel, they're like, Rachel, there's a door, and she's like, not anymore! Boom! Boom. And she charges into the room, into seven hork and she goes, they weren't great odds. And then she kind of takes us out of the moment, and she goes, so, like, when that happened, I, um, they thought I was brave, but I just couldn't see. I thought it was seven humans. I had no clue they were hork <laughs> And, uh... hork are a lot taller than humans, Yeah, but though, grizzly right? bears are pretty blind. Not that blind, I think. I think she was just blinded by rage. 
so yeah, yeah. Black blackout outrage. rage so she runs in um and it starts this battle where she just blacks out goes into berserker mode again and is slicing and dicing and getting just mauled. And she mentions, like, how bad it is, like, how injured she's getting. She can feel just the energy seeping out of her body. And everyone else is Every- Yeah, and she says she doesn't know if it's, like, Andalite. Or Andalite. Well, yeah, Andalite. Andalite, Animorph, or Horik Bajur screaming. It's just a mix of screaming and blood and horror. And um, she, at one point, charges into a Horik Bajur and smashes him into a wall and then she hears it crack and shatter and it turns out that was one of the windows and the hork goes flying 60 floors down out of this window and what happens next is tobias comes flying in and joins this battle and that apparently just Yay. like turns the tide yeah he mm-hmm. he they scared that when he joined in it scared the hork and they take off the remaining ones there's a ton that are unconscious on the floor they said they're still breathing but I mean, we don't really know. Um, And that's when Marco slams the door back up, puts a desk in front of it, and they say, everybody demorph. And they do. And they're back in their, like, human states, and they're exhausted, but they're all still alive and uninjured because they've now demorphed. Uh There's a connecting room that is where they think the Candrona is. So they walk in, and in it, they see this car-sized, they said cylinder that was tapered on both ends. And they said it smelled like ozone. It was giving off electricity, so all their hair was, like, standing on end. And it was big and heavy enough that they're like, what do we do now? And Jake asks Rachel, can you go to, to Elephant? And she's like, yeah, all right. And even as the elephant, she has to drag inch by inch this thing out of the room, mm-hmm. pushes it out the, the open window after Tobias made sure the street was clear, and it falls down 60 stories and smashes on the ground. And this is their victory. Yay, they did yes, it. they did it. Yay. They won on an offensive mission, and they won. I think this is the first time that's happened. I know Woo-hoo. it's epic. So thanks, Berserker yeah, Grizzly. Yeah, thanks, Berserker Grizzly. So um, they do that, and the Elemist appears to them again after this happens because the the whole thing was that when they realized they had this this mission that they could win and they could succeed and the Elemis gave them the tools to, like, destroy the Candrona. This was a huge blow to the Yerks. And that's what, in, like, invigorated them to want to keep fighting for Earth. So the Elemis mm-hmm. shows up and he doesn't really have to ask, like, what their choice is. It's kind of clear in this moment that they've all decided that they just have to fight. That's the only option. There's no preserving them. There's no going to this, like, fucked up planet where they're in a zoo. They just they'll fight forever that's when the elements b- breaks it to them that they there's a new condrona ray on the way it'll be there in three weeks and then they're kind of bummed they're like wow this entire fucking mission was in vain thanks and that's when axe says no no no, it's not because that's three weeks from now they're still gonna get behind schedule and thousands of yurks are gonna die so we've still done damage Yay. to them and that reinvigorates them. It's kind of the mode of, yay! Aw, yay! <laughs> and uh, so that's when I think it's Jake asks, you, you guys still good to morph birds? And they go flying away. And they've won. This is, I think, their first victory. Huzzah! Um, and that leads to, like, the final page of our book, which is Rachel just saying goodbye to her dad. And she's... She's decided not to move yep, with she him. she can't move with... She can't relocate. That's the... That's the 
the moral of this particular book. Do not relocate. <laughs> Stay where you are forever. But yeah, she's saying goodbye <laughs> to her dad, and um, he's kind of joking with her, but is like really sad about it, obviously, because he won't see her a lot. And he's saying, I'm going to fly back all the time. And Rachel goes, yeah, we... He said that, but, you know, I know that's not really how that's going to go. Oh, do you want to come to the airport with me? I'll send you home in a cab. And she goes, no, no, I can't really do that. And he goes, yeah, I know you're really busy with your friends and all, kind of jokingly. And she goes, yeah, we have to save the world. She's not lying. Um, And so he leaves. And the end of the book is Tobias asking her if she's going with him. On a bird date. On a bird date. They're going to go fly. That's the end of the book. I love this book. I did too. And can I just say, mm-hmm. um, when I was finished reading the book, I kind of had this little crisis because I'm like, okay, this was a Rachel book. I don't know if I was on board with it. Like, I don't know if I'm really, I don't know if I cared much for Rachel in this book. Like, I, I mean, I cared and I think she's a great character, but like, she's so different from me. That, like, I, like, I had a hard time kind of relating to her. Like, I, I, like, I don't know if, if this book made me think she's my favorite character or anything. Like. Yeah. I, like, I, again, I think she's a great character. I think she went through really believable emotions and development, but I don't know if I can get on board with her being, like, my favorite character. But that said, I liked Cassie a lot more in this book. Me too. I I really liked Cassie in this book. Yeah. Like, I wasn't sure, you know, she she was pretty um, quick to, when the Elemis first offered to, like, take them away from Earth. Like, she was the first one to be like, hey, that sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah. Which probably wasn't the most desirable decision at the time. But then I kind of realized, you know, I would probably do the same thing. And, like, I I think I'm I'm very kind of similar to Cassie in the whole like I'd rather kind of take the slow route I want to be non-violent I you know I, I'm a little more hesitant where everyone else is a little more gung-ho so I don't know I like this book made me realize like I think I'm probably the most similar to Cassie so far yeah I mean I I won't that could change I won't agree or disagree with that but um what I respected the most about Cassie in this book. And as, as I've said, like when I read these, I, I like Cassie a lot um, up until um, a certain point. And this was like when she made this decision that she wouldn't mind being in a preserve, it wasn't out of a place of being scared. Uh, like it, it was, but it wasn't out of a place of being kind of um, ready to give up on the human race. It was a logical decision that was thought through quickly but still thought through and her arguments were legitimate so Mm -hmm. i don't think that that was from a place of cowardice Mm -hmm. i really liked that decision from cassie i wouldn't take that decision like that wouldn't be mine i'd want to keep fighting but sure i totally understand where she's coming from and i and it's a logical sound thing also um i i said all that stuff about rachel how about how about like she's she's a great character but she's not my favorite character Mm mm-hmm and then I got into the thing about Cassie, but what I meant to come back to was that I had that initial reaction about Rachel at the end of her book, but talking about her with you now, I suddenly, I like her a lot more again. Like, I don't know, just like kind of talking through like what happened and like getting your feedback on things. Like I, I just, I like Rachel a lot more 
now than when I finished the end of her book. Because, like, she was just so, like, filled with rage and, like, Mm -hmm. suppressing her emotions. And I, like, I couldn't get on board with that because I'm all like, talk about your emotions. Like, this isn't healthy. Like, you're, you're going down this kind of dark path. Yeah. But, like, I, that makes her so interesting, though. Yeah. I'm just scared for her, you know? Like, I'm scared about all these kind of habits that are developing. Ugh, oh, yeah. And, like, not... I don't think it's a spoiler to say that's not going to get better. Yeah. Like, none of this is going to get easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, spoilers, if you were thinking it was going to get better from here on out, but oh, it's no. not. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, like, 50 more books of despair to go. Oh, uh, yeah. it's It just gets worse and worse for all... Because, as we said, back in Marco's book and Jake's book is... This is all about breaking them down piece by piece until Mm -hmm. you find out what's left. It's not about building them up and becoming better and learning how to be a, a, you know, complete individual that's well-rounded and able to live in society. It's about how far can you push somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Hard. Yeah. I, I love Rachel. So, and I do, I really like Cassie in these, in these first books. I really do. And like, I think that once we start getting to more of her books from her perspective um and stories from her perspective because the the next one's megamorphs and that's from everybody's perspective like i really i do appreciate what she brings and i appreciate that cassie asked the hard questions about morality because that as you know that's not my strong suit (laughs) so (laughs) i appreciate it (laughs) so oh god those are my thoughts. <laughs> I, but, like, I didn't really like Cassie in a couple of the books before this. Like, I didn't like her in her book because I thought she was, like, being kind of rude. Yeah. Rude, but, no, no, you're, but, like, you're right. She's, like, she did that dumb thing with the squirrel and, like, uh, and she was, like, yelling at Jake and kind of being hypocritical about that. Mm-hmm. And so I, and, like, I, was, telling, I was, like, I was telling Marco's dad to get over the death of his mom. And yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And, like, I was I was really lukewarm on her for a long time. But this this particular book, I felt like, okay, I see where she's coming from. She seems like a consistent character. And she's actually, like, really likable. Yeah. So, like, her character's just been so inconsistent for me for a really long time. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I think it was just deciding what her character really was. Like, they, Rachel was solidly Rachel from the start. Jake, yeah. he was a character, but he has to grow into a different character. Marco was Marco. Like, Tobias had his own struggles and growths, and he didn't really need to be formed, but Cassie was kind of like, what are we doing with her exactly? Like, there was no clear mm-hmm. character description for her at the start. So yeah. I think we're finally getting to the point where we're getting into what her strengths are and how that benefits the team. Anyway, should we wrap this up? Let's do it. All right. What do we have? We have Twitter. Follow us at Animorphs Anon. We have Facebook, facebook.com slash Animorphs Anonymous. We have Gmail, anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com. We have a website, which is animorphsanonymous.com. Oh, and an Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I forgot about that one. I have, like, a list here. Thank God, because I'm just winging it. (laughs) Yeah, but we have an Instagram, which is at Animorphs Anonymous. And I think that's all of our social media. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. And if whatever you're listening to us on, uh, if you don't like that particular service, you have many services to choose from. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Podbean. We're on Stitcher. And we are on Pocket Casts. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think we're probably like really searchable by now on Google. If you Google Animorphs Anonymous podcast, you probably will be able to find us. Probably. Which is cool. Yeah, we're not really worried about security and not being found. <laughs> aren't we, though? <laughs> we are and we aren't. <laughs> we can't tell you our names or where we live. Yeah, but we'll tell you our website and all of our social media. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's everywhere to follow us and to listen to us. And, uh, you know, if you want to leave good reviews, if you want to leave us bad reviews, but just put it under a five star, I won't tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that's all. All right. Catch you on the flip side. Later.